manipulate the price of gold and silver. But all that money printing that they've done has flowed into the only non-manipulated currency in the world, and that is Bitcoin. I think this is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. Once in a while, you can Bitcoin changes absolutely everything. What's in there? Only what you take with you. Hey Daniel. Hey Lauren. Welcome Eric, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? We're very well. Very well. Yeah. Good to be here. Sorry we missed you last week uh, with the little uh, scheduling mess up. Yeah, always the case, but that's fine. Like it's it, pretty much used to that now. It's like it always happens. Uh, yeah, not a, not a big fuss there. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's one of the uh, the, the hardest parts of the uh, the job that Lauren yes. has no idea. Actually, I do. Is the scheduling of the podcast of our own podcast and uh, trying to get everything yep. in line and the the time zones and then the time changes when we go into summer and out of winter and uh, it's a mess. It's a yep. mess. And all of us have families as well, right? So, you know, things change. There's lots of mm -hmm. fluid um, family dynamics. Different but here we are. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting yeah. us on. And Lauren, actually, she, um, she wanted to say thank you for the book. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. You're welcome. Do yeah. You, yeah. I, I think. Sorry. Mm hmm. Do, do you want to tell the listeners about the book? A, this is this is turning into our podcast rather than Mayrick's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I got Izzy Hodler's way on Twitter to hand out uh, a copy of the Bhagavad Gita to Lauren. And I'm, I'm guessing it's not the best copy given it's like so fine, but at least like, you know, it's something better than nothing. And then given that, yeah, I feel the Bhagavad Gita is one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. And I'm pretty sure Lauren will find it fascinating. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, the definitive English edition of uh, Bhagavad Gita. Um, I'm sure uh, yeah. I, I've got to work on that pronunciation after listening to you say it correctly. Uh, but can you just give us a little um, like outline about what it what it's about and why you uh, so generously uh, gave it to, to Izzy to... It was a great story because there I was in Riga and uh, Wizard of Oz was telling me, you've got to meet Izzy. I've brought this dude with me. He's amazing. You guys are going to get on really well. And so we meet Izzy, and uh, I have a great conversation with him. And then he says, ah, I've got a gift for you to give to Lauren from somebody in Australia. And it was this little book. So what, what's the book about, and, and why did you feel um, it would be something that, that somebody like Lauren of her age would get out, just get something out of it? So the book itself is uh, Hinduism. I, I mean, personally, I come from a Roman Catholic background, but I found Hinduism later on. And like, and then the cumulative works, because it's so vast, it's said that like the cumulative works are the wisdom of everything can be found in this one tiny book. So everything is like jammed packed in this one tiny book. And, it's, and to say jam packed as in it's not, and it's easy to digest. Like the information in there is easy to digest, or, and someone can implement in their life. 
And I felt felt like maybe even if Lauren puts this away and comes to this uh, comes to this book at a later like on a later part in her life, she'll get value out of it. Or if she plans on like taking fear reading it now, probably yeah, get some insights from it as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it sound um I started reading it and then all the names I I didn't really understand and um then I found another yeah. book that I was reading so but I have it by my bed so <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it it's something that someone introduced me to it and I put it on the wayside and then I came back to it like 5 or 6 years later and I found real value in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to flick through it too. Yeah, you know there was this one time in Australia. I was like, there's probably someone playing music on the street, and he was playing like praises, like Hinduism, like uh, Gita or praises to Hindu gods. And as randomly, and as like a white dude playing the guitar, playing this, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like I usually, very rarely, I, is that I'm traveling in the city, but like, okay, I see this guy go in pop in like a dollar or whatever change I had, I pop it into his guitar case. And then he hands me a copy of a Bhagavad Gita. No. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Very, very cool. Everything's connected, huh? Yes, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, Lauren, thank you. Did you uh, want to say goodbye? Yeah, thank you again. And um, bye. Bye. I hope to see you guys someday in person at some conference somewhere, for sure. Uh, or yeah. if not, at least in Australia at the next one. Yeah, we need to go to Australia. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I know. I <laughs> want to. Anyways, bye. Thank you. Bye, Lauren. Bye. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, whenever you're ready, you jump straight into it. Go for uh, it, Because, yeah, because I was thinking, pretty sure all Bitcoiners know who you are, or at least, like, most Bitcoiners would know who you are. But for people that are not, like, for my audience that, that are not Bitcoiners and are listening to it, like, how, like, can you give, like, a bit of a background about yourself and go from there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I... I <laughs> I think very few Bitcoiners even know who I am, to be honest. But I, thank you for the thank you for the, the backhanded compliment. Uh, the yeah, where, where where shall I start? Grew up in the southeast of uh, the United Kingdom. Just um, did the normal thing, normal state school thing. You know, didn't enjoy that too much. Uh, just being churned through the system like everybody else. Mm. Uh, then um, because of where we lived. Uh, we had uh, access to London, so it took about an hour to get into London, Com- commuter belt town. That's where my father worked in um, the uh, the banking industry. He worked for Swiss Bank. And that's just kind of like that. I followed in the footsteps and um, found, myself working, found myself working in uh, financial markets in 1995 on um, foreign exchange spot desks, uh, which um, was between... Uh, the US dollar and the Deutschmark at the time, which still existed, uh, a fiat currency that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Uh, so uh, that's where I started um, my career. And by 1999, that business had completely changed. Obviously, the euro had started to rear its head, uh, and it looked as though um, AI, uh, voice brokerage, was um, 
taking over that business and a lot of people were losing their jobs. I ended up finding myself um, a job on the foreign exchange options desk, which was still heavily reliant on voice brokerage and had the opportunity to go out to Singapore um, to cover for somebody that had just left the uh, the office out there. Loved it and got offered a job. Long story short, spent 15 years in Singapore with Claire, my wife and I. We both uh, moved over um, at the age of 22. Wow. And then uh, we had all the four kids over there, built the career over there, had a great time, loved the lifestyle, loved the, um, loved the island, loved Asia, loved uh, mm. the whole region, exploring as much as we could, when we could. Expat life came with very nice trimmings. And I had uh, expendable uh, salary, especially during the early days and middle part of my career. Um, towards the, um, I was 37, I guess. From my mid-30s, I knew something was up and I didn't want to be part of that machine anymore. And I was just done with the whole thing. And I couldn't put my finger on why or what it was. But then I did read a book called The, the 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And mm. that turned my head upside down about thinking completely about how to earn a living what does it mean to live and i was actually living a deferred lifestyle because i i would just sit there at my desk dreaming about ah oh, in 20 years time i can play golf all day in 20 years time my wife and i can travel the world together yep. in 20 years time mm -hmm. i'm gonna learn how to sail in 20 years time and it was just this awful fiat mindset of yep. deferring everything um because you were just trapped on the fiat hamster wheel and you had the daily grind and you had to um, make all of the, the commitments to keep a roof over your family's head, to keep kids in the best international schools, mm. uh, to drive a nice car and all of this complete entrapment. Uh, and that book helped me see through that and helped me look in the mirror and decide what do I truly uh, value? Um, what do I truly want to do? How do I truly want to live my life? And that was, well, I want to spend as much time as I can with my kids whilst they're young. And at this point, they were eight, six, and three, two three-year-olds. Lauren was three and her twin brother. And I thought, damn, I'm just a lodger in my own house at the weekends. I'm right. not I'm not around these guys. Like they mm. I would call them once a day and then I would see them three nights a week and at the weekend, but then I would be running them here, there, everything, and it, it just didn't it didn't sit well. Uh, so right. I quit uh, after a long, long um, discovery process of, mm. uh, okay, what will life look like if I quit? What do we do? Where do we go? And we decided, well, we want to travel. We want to explore the region whilst we're still here. Um, let's do it. Let's quit. We sold everything and um, started traveling. And we started traveling via the, the sharing economy. We did that via way of uh, HomeSwap on a, on a company website called uh, lovehomeswap.com. Uh, we have uh, an investment property that we'd bought in 2005 in Koh Samui in Thailand. And we listed right. that as a potential swap for other people to see, is there anything here? You know, you do a three-month trial on the website. And wow, we were blown away. We were getting requests from all over the place. And we suddenly mm. realized, ah, we can start making an itinerary here around um, this idea of leveraging um, the home in a way we never have even considered before. And 
off we went. We thought we'd go for six months. That turned into nine months. That turned into a year. That turned into two years. That turned into two and a half years. Complete and utter uninterrupted long-term travel. And of course, with that comes many other rabbit holes. Uh, obviously, the, the education system. Um, yeah. We were not part of it. We were not part of any nation state. We were not part of any taxation system. We were not part of um, any of the mm. daily administrative BS that comes along with living in a country because we were perpetual tourists and we just had yep. freedom. Uh, and that's when he really started for me to value time and uh, experiences and making completely different decisions that we'd ever made before, how, how to look at life, how to look at money. And that's when I found Bitcoin as well. Um, back in um, 2014 and 15, being given the time to actually sit down and breathe and, and think and uh, and look for resources to learn from. Uh, so we traveled till the middle of 2016. Then we got a opportunity to homesit uh, for two or three months in France, in central France. And the, the home sitting is different to house swapping. Home sitting is where somebody will own a second or third or fourth property, whatever it is, but they want somebody to live there and look after it. So you become the guardian of the house um, right. for free, but for free in the fact that you're not paying rental money, but you are paying with mm. your, your time. Uh, to do the gardening, to make sure that the house is completely up to you know the standards, mm. to make sure that you're letting in the the electrician and the plumber and whoever else needs to come and do the jobs, and to make sure that right. the um, the uh, you know <laughs> the house isn't crumbling. Um, and it was mm. um, an amazing time, and that was the first time we'd stayed anywhere for longer than about two weeks. And we were oh, like, mm, this we need to we need to readjust again. We 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 yeah, wanted we to slow down. Yep. So we did, and we found a place to to rent longer term, and we wanted the kids to learn another language. Right. Uh, so we decided to expose them to to that by immersing them in one of the local village schools, uh, so that they could all start learning learning French. Now all four of them are, are fluent in French, and um, we've been here we've lived in three different places and um th this this could be our last year here we, we we're not sure next year is going to be an interesting an interesting time for us and our family and we've got big decisions to make uh everybody's growing up a little bit oldest daughter is now 18 so she's gonna fly off and do her gap year around the world and that will leave us with three kids and maybe we'll do the same Maybe we'll go traveling again. Uh, so oh, wow. lots of yeah. lots of things to consider. Um, sorry if that was not a too short a story, uh, but all of that culminated in me writing the book "Choose Life," yes. uh, which um, which is uh, an outline of of that journey and um, the 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 trials and tribulations that that we faced coming to make that decision, how we did it, and um, hopefully how others might uh, be able to carve their own way because there's no there's no blueprint there's no step yes. by step this is how you do it everyone's situation is completely different but just by being able to hopefully inspire somebody to think in a slightly different manner they will find their own path 
and uh, find their own people to to connect with that uh, are in more of a similar situation. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just to make that initial decision and then just actually go about and doing like moving constantly, it's like a big ask for. And some people would be scary for most people, right? Like, and especially, I mean, thinking I'm just thinking putting myself in your shoes and but with my situation and. Without having any kids, it sounds a bit scary or daunting. And then with kids, it's probably even more, right? Like, because then they're all committed to different things, committed to a school, probably committed to activities outside of school. And how, uh, how is, like, any pain points? Uh, one is, like, any pain points during this whole process? And, like, at what stage did you start putting the book together? Mm. Yeah, lots of pain points. You know, nothing's easy. Um the, the, the biggest pain points were uh, leaving the country that you'd um, built your whole career and your family mm. in and, and lived in for 15 years, you know. Uh, we knew as soon as we left, we weren't coming back uh, yeah. because I didn't want to work in that industry again. Mm. And you, you can't live in, in a place like Singapore if you're not gainfully employed with mm. a very good wage. So we knew it. We knew we were leaving our friends and we knew we were leaving that part of the world. And... Um, okay well we either do or we don't and then mm. of course explaining to the kids what was going on in our heads they're still so young but like you said they had ties that you know but what about our friends and what about this and what about that and what about mm. all of our stuff like yeah we're gonna mm. sell all that and like, what our doll's houses yeah <laughs> like they're gonna go you're gonna have to break ties with them they're just plastic um but no all of our memories um you know, and it's very difficult to, to understand, especially at eight, um, that you, you're not going to see um, your, your school friends or your teachers or your neighbors again. Um, and, uh, of course, get getting everything sorted out, getting all of those ducks in a row, all of the administrative processes, selling everything. Goodness, that, that takes concerted effort. Uh, and, um, really, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to get absolutely everything out. So, um, I remember actually we sold the car on the day that we were leaving. Oh, that, wow. that, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thankfully that happened. Otherwise I'm not sure, but the, what you figure out actually is that there's always, there's always a way, there's always mm. a way. Um, mm. and you, you just, um, roll with the punches and you're like, ah, oh, okay, this has not gone to plan as I thought it would, um, which is kind of a silly way to even expect to do actually when you're doing something, uh, such a big undertaking, such as trying to, you know, sell everything you've owned and, and move your family into yeah. a, uh, a nomadic lifestyle. Um, yeah. And just, just learning to, uh, be open to, to what uh, problems are going to arise and viewing the problems rather as an opportunity of, mm. um, of how to, uh, you know, right. think around it and, um, and find another way. Uh, but um, it's difficult. And this is the problem that keeps people exactly where they are because they yep. face that 
they face the mm. oh i've got to change the bank account or how do i do this or how do i change the yeah, insurance right. policy and how do i sell the house and how do i close down this account and oh i don't I've got to close down the Wi-Fi and, you know, it's just like all of this just pointless shit that surrounds mm. you because it's such a mammoth task. Just like moving house is such a mammoth task. How many people have yep. stayed in the same house because they just cannot face moving house, even if it's like three miles down the road? It's um, right. it's big. Yeah. So they're yep. the main pain yep. points. Um, obviously, we had uh, mm. other pain points along the route. With, uh, goodness, you know, some injuries, uh, which uh, is always the worst. Uh, my yeah. son splitting his head open in Thailand and having to get that stitched up in a, in a hospital in Chiang Mai. And you know, yeah. <laughs> stuff, unavoidable yeah. stuff that's just going to happen anyway at some stage. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And see... So at any point, did you guys end up going back to Singapore? Did you have like leftover, like did you have stuff stored somewhere there? Or just everything? Did you guys sell we, everything? The, the it, stuff yeah, that we it down? the stuff that we wanted to keep, um, like um, specific pieces of furniture and some artwork and stuff that we would um, want around us. Uh, we actually paid to be shipped uh, to the UK and stored. Yep. Um, at uh, one of our family's um, houses. Uh, and we did that in like a part container. Um, so you can buy part yes. of a container ship, um, which yeah. was pretty um, economically viable because paying for storage costs in the end would have just been uh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So at what stage did you start writing Choose Life? Was it post all of this, like the post of two and a half years? It or was. During? Yeah, okay. it was. It was back end of sixteen, start of seventeen, I suppose. Um, mm. And that again was because uh, I had time. Because we'd put the kids into the local village school to be immersed in the language. Uh, all of a sudden, Claire and I were like completely alone. It was the weirdest feeling, having had the kids around you for two and a half years every mm. single minute of every single day it was like whoa the hell are we gonna do like, <laughs> this is so quiet it was eerily quiet uh so i just i was inspired by a friend of mine who must have been i don't know about the hundredth person to say why don't you write a book about this um and for whatever reason i'd been putting it off the usual self-doubt uh, the usual monkey mind telling you that you're not good enough to write a book, what makes you think you're so special and all of this kind of stuff that procrastinators <laughs> suffer with. Uh, mm. And in the end, um, I decided just to start going for it. Um, yeah, and I couldn't stop the, I couldn't stop tapping the keyboard. I couldn't stop this, um, this kind of uh, flow coming out of me. Um, yeah. And with the, with the one goal of if just one person reads this book and it, inspires them mm. to think slightly differently about their life uh the difference it could make to them and their family could be indescribable so just stick yep. with that and imagine you're writing for one person yes and see what happens mm. uh and that took probably about the best part of a year then i found an editor mm. uh and uh yeah who, who basically 
drew lines through everything mm. and uh, <laughs> reorganized everything and then said, right. right, back to work, go and add this. So you just when you thought the project was over, it was nowhere, nowhere near over. Right. Uh, yeah. And then, um, yeah, started adding to it and, and following the advice of, um, mm. of her experience and got it all together and self-published and released it October 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get my hands on a copy. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I thought of doing it a while back and then I was like, oh, it slipped me. But yeah, after listening to all of this, yeah, I surely need a copy. Uh, <laughs> but but in saying, like one thing that stuck out is like uh, we constantly keep saying that like my partner and I also keep we make make it a point to at least move houses every once a year or if not earlier. So then we know that the amount of stuff that we own because mm. it's like the stuff that you own ends up owning you right like exactly yeah and then easy and me were having another conversation just earlier actually oh by the way he says hi because i did tell him i was speaking to you and uh he's like oh, do we end up should we own a property like you know or should we be renting and then it's like if you do get own a property then you're tied with that property because you're going to be paying a mortgage and then that's you're tied down for the next 20 years of your life at this one location you're not even sure whether you want to be there or what the like what the society would look like or what the broader society has what the government is going to be doing in the next five years so yeah yeah uh the mortgage trap yeah it's um it's a very interesting one and um it's different of course country to country mm. um i was talking about this with andy Edstrom and Croesus the other day on a podcast episode and uh, Croesus mentioned, yeah, well, you can get a 30-year fixed mortgage. And, but whoa, 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 what? <laughs> you can get a 30-year fixed mortgage in the United States. He's like, yeah. <laughs> fixed. Like, yep. Like, well, man, that, that's a completely different real estate market to Europe. There's no way in the world you'd get a 30-year fixed mortgage. Maybe you'd get five-year fixed interest rate. Mm. Maybe if you negotiated, you could probably might be able to find seven or 10 year, but 30 year fixed mortgage, that's a completely different, a completely different discussion. So you've got to look at your, you know, like you said, the, the government can change these rules whenever they want that. Yep. That is what they do. They have control over the interest rates. So therefore, as soon as you, I made a quote about this the other day, actually, a tweet. Um, modern banking, uh, mortgages explained. So what's happening is they ask you for your life savings, mm. right? Up until that point, in the guise of a deposit. They take yep. that deposit. They then counterfeit money against that deposit. Mm. They literally counterfeit money. The banks are licensed by the central bank of your country, and they can counterfeit money. They're not taking money from another part of their bank to give to you. Yeah. <clears throat> They're counterfeiting it. They're making it up out of nowhere. So they take your life savings. Then they counterfeit money for you and charge you interest on the counterfeit money. Mm, and yes. they can change the interest rate whenever they want. Why are we playing in this casino? This makes no sense. Yeah. Right, you 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 are not going to win in that scenario, and what they're basically saying is, here's the counterfeit money for you to go and buy, and manage, and upkeep, and improve a property for us. 
because mm. they own the property. Yep. They own the property until you've paid all of the interest back over 20, 30 years and they've changed yeah. that that rate against you God knows how many times. So you're literally yeah. playing in a casino and all you want are four walls and a roof over your head to keep your family safe. Mm. But you've got to enter into all of this trickery and clownery and at the same time they're inflating the monetary supply and depleting your purchasing power. Yeah, just to keep wow. the household, you know, up and running, mm-hmm. and they have that um, threat of violence hanging over you. That if you do not pay three interest rates in a row, we take back the keys. The yep. house is ours. You've lost your life savings that we took as a deposit, and um, we'll just fire sell the house to the next poor bastard that we yep. can trap into this hamster wheel of a scam. Yeah. For sure, yeah. I mean, I recently came across in Australia, you can pass on the mortgage to your kids. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Here's um, <laughs> here's your inheritance, kids. Debt. <laughs> yeah. Dad's debt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I worked I worked as a banker as well for about five years in India. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then. That's, I mean, I started working as a junior banker, but then soon I was like, oh, the bank makes money from loans or advances or whatever you call it. And it's like, okay, I want to know how that works. And it's like majority of my career I spent there. And then mm-hmm. I also, I, like, I was quite young back then. Uh, and then also remembered of, okay, so if today all of my customers come and ask for cash, only 8% of them are going to get it. Like only we have enough in the walls for only eight percent, right? There's not enough money in the bank as well. Yeah. And people assume like, and even to date, there's people that believe that money is backed by gold. So like, mm-hmm. as like recently having a conversation with some friends and family, and it's like, oh, money's backed by gold. You don't need to worry. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that we forget how um, because we've been in the Bitcoin space for a little while, and we've done all of this historical analysis and and taught ourselves because mm. no one's going to teach you you think that that's not ever going to be any economics lessons you've been taught have been um you know that those teachings have been controlled by the people that make the educational agendas not curriculums mm. uh for a reason and uh, you're being taught uh keynesian Uh, economics and inflation is good for the economy and all of these other complete and utter nonsensical claims. Um, The the only way that you're going to be able to start understanding Bitcoin is to read outside of that institution and start to, um, I mean, there's so many great Bitcoin books out there now that you can just dive straight into those. You don't even need to go to the um, the Rothbards or the Hayeks or mm. the um, or the Mises uh, if you don't want to and study the Austrian economics. You you can be brought into that work via some very approachable Bitcoin books, and um, all of a sudden, everything starts making way more sense, right. and you find that um, Bitcoin is way more intuitive and the history of money is incredibly interesting. Uh, you know, I've not met a person that doesn't like learning about money 
and where it's come from. Most people say, oh, I don't care about money and oh, mm. dirty, greedy capitalist pigs and all of that. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you do. You do. You just don't know you do because it's a primal uh, basic instinct. It's the, it's the thing that sets our species apart from anything else on this planet. Mm. Yeah. This idea of using a medium of exchange to express mm. and communicate value to each other. It's, it, it's mind-blowing. Yes. Absolutely mind blowing, and um, that's why we enjoy having conversations like this and create 100%. podcasts out of yeah. nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, like you said, back in two thousand and fourteen, you found Bitcoin. Like, like what? Like, how did you find Bitcoin? What resources mm. were there back then? And like, yeah, I had ignored it many times up mm. until that point um, because I was sat in the seat. Right, I was sat at the head of the table in the fiat monetary game. I was a um, a foreign Mm. exchange broker for fiat currencies. I didn't even know what a fiat currency was. And I had spent 18 years dealing with fiat currencies, with money, quote unquote, what I thought was money. I thought I was a a linchpin in the economical workings of the, uh, the global uh, financial markets um, by brokering these deals between, you know, the world's biggest banks, and of course, I got to rent seek for doing that commission. That's how brokerages mm. work. So, if you put a, together a deal between UBS and HSBC worth a hundred million dollars, you would take um, ten dollars per dollar on that as uh, as commission. But you're doing these deals um, ideally on a good day. You could be doing these deals. 10 deals an hour, you know, the, the very fast moving paced market. Mm. Uh, and that just accrues and accrues and accrues. And you do that per month and everything just adds up. So <clears throat> uh, when Bitcoin first came along to my attention, I was still in that world. And for me, you know, wrapped up in hubris and ego, you just look at it and you're like, this is internet geek money. What are these guys even thinking? Like this is, what they think it's going to topple the dollar as the global world reserve like absolute complete insanity uh, and just completely dismissed it dismissed it two or three times and i remember actually uh the mount gox hack mm. where um some people managed to uh extract a lot of bitcoin from that exchange i thought that was bitcoinink.com uh and mm. uh, it had just been um hacked i didn't i didn't even realize at that point uh the the nature of the decentralized network and there wasn't a bitcoin company and um yep. didn't even know who hadn't even heard the name satoshi nakamoto hadn't done any kind of research so there i thought right bitcoin was dead move on with life and it came back and it came back and 2014 like i said we'd um started the travel and i now had a need to find a store of value for everything that i had worked for in the past i didn't want it to be just diversified in stock markets and things like that Mm. so i when we left singapore i i'd um moved uh some holdings into um gold and silver bars and they were stored in a vault out at uh uh, airport and you know i was trying to protect my wealth in in that way um then i had different mutual funds and i had different um exposures to different Mm -hmm. uh equities and tried to do um, anything I could to to diversify and um, be able to uh, carry that 
wealth into at least the next couple of years uh, so we could, you know, travel and live. Um, but because I had the time, I started learning more and more about Bitcoin and reading more about it. Uh, and it was actually hat tip to Real Vision. They launched about the same time. Uh, Grant Williams was a co-founder with Raoul Pal, and Grant and I were friends from Singapore. So I was one of the first subscribers to um, to show support, and I really enjoyed what they were doing. Like the content was incredible. The early interviews, up until that point, I'd had zero exposure to the minds of um, you know people that were running hedge funds, for example, these mm. secretive hedge funds that I knew existed, but yep. had direct access to the banks would never come and have direct access to the brokerages. So we knew a hell of a lot of the business, the foreign exchange business was being driven by positions being yep. put on by hedge funds, but the banks were getting all that business and we could not tap into it directly. So when these guys started coming on and talking, I remember watching interviews with uh, Mark Hart and Kyle Bass. I'm like, mm. wow, this is incredible. And I remember speaking to Grant and asked him, are you going to ever do anything on Bitcoin or are you just like sweeping that under the rug? Not going to mention it, not going to entertain it. This is just um, a fad. He said, yeah, we've got some interviews coming out and uh that would have been around mm. 15 i guess and the right. interviews were wences cesares uh de Mista, trace mayer mm. the ones i remember specifically uh, and after that everything changed all of the lights started going off right. when i saw right. these gentlemen talking about bitcoin i'm like fuck this is nothing what i thought it was and then I couldn't mm. stop learning about it. Um, found Andreas Antonopoulos, yep. read all of his books that were coming out, found all of his speeches on YouTube, watched them mm. all. One of the favorite ones, I think London School of Economics, when there's like three people in the crowd. Like, you know, th th <laughs> yeah. this is how early we are. Yeah. Uh, it was like, whoa. And I started sending these links all around my friends and family and the usual yeah. thing happens, right? Yeah, this guy yeah. is an idiot. Why are you talking yep. about this? You know, this is stupid. Um, but I've not been able to stop learning ever since. And ever mm. since those days, the quality and the quantity of the content just keeps growing. And yep. um, incredible, incredible books and articles out there now, YouTube shows, podcasts. Uh, that there's there's no excuse now to to not be uh, learning in whichever medium you you prefer because it's all there. It's all all there. of it is yeah. there. Even videos, yep. even films, even cartoons. Uh, it's yep. it's all there. Yeah, yeah. I guess more specifically, uh, Daniel Prince wants to tap into another crowd. I guess he starts has to making some TikTok videos. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. everything's out there. Just uh, yeah, the desire to learn or the desire to understand things is quite not there yet for most people, right? Uh, or they just yeah. yeah. And and one thing is like you could blame it on the existing system that we are trapped in. Is like oh, we we get put on these hamster wheels just to 
and people like we got to keep running faster and faster just to stay in the same place like you're not even getting ahead you're just just running faster to stay in the same place and like people get trapped into jobs or stuff that they are not they don't want to do and then mm-hmm. all they got to do is like come home and to switch that out of their mind they're probably putting on the telly and sitting there and they're not they don't have the capacity to learn anything new or understand anything of uh, of or even try understanding of how the world of the system works basically yeah yep and um that's insidiously done that starts from a very mm. young age um the education right. system is designed to crush that love of learning mm. uh it's designed to force feed you facts and figures that they want you to just be able to repeat and um they want to uh nationalize you and they want to um make you into a very malleable um and controllable person the last thing they need is um tens of millions of entrepreneurial minds out there mm. like connecting with each other learning from each other colluding in quotes with each other yeah. building better products faster services you know absolutely mm. no we we must crush that spirit mm. and that that's what happens and when when that spirit is crushed that's why when i have spoken to to all of the bitcoiners i've spoken to the first mm. thing that comes up is like i cannot believe my thirst for knowledge i've not never experienced right. anything like this never been so intellectually stimulated as i have been right now and that is whether the kid i'm speaking to is 17 and has just fallen down the rabbit hole and uh, right. he's having you know everything exposed in front of his eyes or whether that's larry lapard who's in his 60s like this is freaking amazing yeah. you know uh, yeah. you, you just you cannot switch it off and yeah and to feel that energy and to feel that mm. power is so addictive and i just want everybody to feel that because it, it it's it's a feeling that once you find it and once you harness it um nothing can stop you and this is how we redesign and redefine civilization because up until now uh it's been completely manipulated and um structured mm. yeah. and that's why the matrix is such a favorite film of the uh, of the bitcoiner crowd yep yep 100% and like that gives us a nice segue into homeschooling because i remember listening mm. to it on your podcast I, before uh, you know when to get to your podcast like what made you started but yeah homeschooling itself uh i remember you saying that oh we get trapped into like the school system is designed in such a way there's like oh there's uh, english language at like 9 am and then the, at science at 10 am and then there's something else at 11 am but given that as a student like you get really deep into the science but no the bell rings that gets switched off and you got to move on to the next subject that's one right like there's not enough opportunity the other thing that you mentioned was yeah uh, in the school system on the regular school system is like everyone is boxed in with people that are the same age but when you get get out into the world 
it's like you're you're working with someone that's 40 or 50 years old and there's someone that's younger than you and like all sorts of different people all sorts of different genders or people with different ideologies and that's the real world but in the school system you're trapped with this people similar age or basically yes you know where i'm getting with it and you could probably Mm -hmm. explain stuff better yeah yeah where to start what a deep rabbit hole that turned out to be for me um obviously we discovered it firsthand and we discovered it by doing, by leaving the, um, the education system, uh, and, um, going on the, uh, going on the travels. And that's when I started falling down the rabbit hole of, um, who was the first, yeah, John Holt, uh, John Holt, um, was a big proponent of homeschooling. I think back in the fifties and sixties is when he started beating the drum about this in, um, in America, Mm. John Taylor Ghetto is a very influential um, person in uh, in his in his writing um, for people that, and everybody knows this. You, you, anybody listening knows this. That that feeling you get even when you think back to your your time at school. Yeah. Uh, that that um, that experience. Even those people that left with um, straight A's. And then went on to university and then nailed that and got their firsts and masters and PhDs and degrees and everything. Even them, um, they were just as captured in a system as were the uh, the people that struggled with it and couldn't ever get past a, a C or a B. Um, mm. And then obviously the, the lower tranche of people that were, you know, basically pushed into a dark corner and... Yeah, you guys are all the the E's and F's and whatever else. Um, that that this mm. the idea that the uh, the school system is there to um, to set basically a caste system and a society mm. system um, from the very get go is one that um, that triggers a lot of people. Um, but all you have to do is, um, I, w- I would say, if anybody's interested in in approaching this subject. Probably the best place to start would be uh, Weapons of Mass Instruction by John Taylor Gatto. It's a very approachable book, and you can get it on Audible, and you can listen to it on one and a half times, and it's going to it's going to resonate because John was a a public education school teacher, state education school teacher for over thirty years, so he's coming from within the belly of the beast but in such a manner that he's exposing it. Mm. And then he does the deep dive into the um, history of, of how it was set up and why it was set up in such a way. Um, so yeah, th- this idea of forced association, the, 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 first, the first thing that people say is, well, if your kids don't go to school, they're never going to be able to socialize. Right. It's been debunked so many freaking times um, but if this is the first time that anybody's listening to, to this idea, we, we've mm. been tricked into believing that the only way you're going to socialize and make friends is if you go to this institution that you are right. locked inside of, like literally gates locked behind you from the age of three, four or five, depending on which country you live in. Right. Mm. And then you're forced into um, mainly it, it might even be alphabetically like, right. You 20 kids, 30 kids, you're in that room with this yep. teacher, right. off you go. There, there's nothing social about mm. that. 
Mm. That's not social. That is forced yep. association. And now the only mm. the, the, the reason you're going to make friends with somebody in that class is for um, self-preservation. Because this is an right. awful situation to be in, especially at the age of mm. five. Like, you know, what? I've been with my mum for like since the day I was born. And now I've just watched her walk away from the other side of a locked gate and told to march inside mm. to this classroom with these other 25. Who the hell are these people? Like, and why is mm. she now my mum and going to tell me what to do for eight hours a day? Like, you know, so you, right. it, it's a preservation um, human instinct to find that person that might even look like you, sound like you, be interested in the kind mm. of things that you're interested in and force that association. Uh, there's no natural selection. There's no natural um, socialization. And this is now set up for you for the next 15 years of your life. You might be with this literal same group of kids. That's yep. disastrous, man. Like that. Is the, mm. So, and then you realize quickly the people you really do not like and the people you do not want to be around. And then you'll spend most of your school life avoiding those people because you don't want to be associated with them at all. Damn. But apparently homeschoolers are weird because they socialize their kids with kids of other ages from other cultures, from other walks of life, will take them traveling with them even during school term time. And um, like Lauren, who's now interviewed over 300 people on this show with me, uh, all of my yeah. kids are completely comfortable with talking to adults, talking with right. younger kids, helping younger kids, teaching younger kids, learning from slightly older kids. Uh, it's completely mm. natural to them because that is a natural human behavior. That is actually socialization. Um, so yeah. to have this, um, to have that beaten out of you is really inhumane. And to have, um, to, to, to be um, graded and um, segregated in uh, certain groups uh, in societal orders is really inhumane. Um, but it's all insidiously done under the guise of uh, free public education is a human right. Nice meme, guys. Uh, you know, <laughs> very, very powerful. Um, yeah. That's not that's not what it's uh, that's not what it's doing. What what it's doing is, um, like I said before, it's destroying that love of learning, it's destroying mm. um, inquisition, it's destroying critical thinking, it's yep. destroying true social um, interaction, and um, it, it's it's churning out societies that we have today that are very controllable which yep. was exposed in the last three years. Okay, everybody, big announcement. Lock your doors, stay home. And everybody does it. Yep. it what? Mm. <laughs> how, did we, how did we get there? <laughs> the education system is what yeah. led us there because that right. is what is happening in that system every single day. Because it's like you've got to raise your hand and ask for permission to go to the toilet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just, yeah, just a thought that came up to me is like, I remember I was in fourth grade and I was learning about the local, uh, local as in the state 
that I lived in in India, I was learning about the history of the the, the king or the guy that fought fought off the early Mughals because the Mughals invaded India, and uh, yeah, I know his color. I know the color of his horse. <laughs> nice, <laughs> because I thought that in school. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that, that's good. Very that's good knowledge. For me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what they were doing there was teaching so, yeah. you. Um, well, not well. Almost, yeah, well, they're teaching you nationalism on a very um, local level, right? Um, yeah, that's um, that's the idea of it, and that's why, uh, mm. like, the, these his, history um, is written by the winners, right? Who gets to write the yes. the curriculums? Um, mm. That's why in a British history class, you'll you'll learn that Britain is the uh, is the was the ruler of the world and the greatest empire that right. ever lived. And if it wasn't for us, then um, you know half of Europe would be speaking German. And uh, it's, oh my god, mm. like the yep, yep. the the brainwashing. Like, yeah, and the inverse of it is uh, kind of true. Is like how the how in India, like the. Or Mahatma Gandhi or whoever fought off the Brit- mm-hmm. British, right? And but what probably a common occurrence in most education system because I remember learning about the IMF and the WEF back, yeah, in like eighth grade and ninth grade as well in, in the Indian education system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what did they tell you? About if it the- weren't for the IMF that were doing sustainable programs yeah. and giving out loans to developing mm. nations, developing in air quotes, these motherfuckers. Honestly, it's uh, so <laughs> it disgusts me. But now, when you read Alex yep. Gladstein's um, particular article, yep. which he's turning into a book, um, that mm. exposes the IMF and the World Bank for what what they are, what they're truly doing. Um, yep, it crippling these in air quotes again, developing nations, absolutely crippling them, yeah. keeping them um, completely Lapped. depressed, downtrodden, yep. depressed, mm. and. Um, Keeping them, uh, <laughs> so so. What do they do? That they, they force them into um, monocropping, for example, or mono farming. Yes. Um, and yep. in India, I know um, soybean is a is a huge crop in India, as mm. um, as in other parts, uh, the more southern parts of India, I believe, palm oil, uh, because yep. these crops are so prevalent, and they will get given the loans. Okay, now go build yes. out this um, this infrastructure because you will have buyers from all over the world and it seems like right. such a great idea but um we all know how that ends um mm-hmm. you you destroy mm-hmm. your land you destroy your um societies you destroy your your towns your villages um in the pursuit for this um this golden goose and yep. invariably uh like other multinational comp- companies will come in and run those plantations yes. anyway and hire the local people on less than minimum wage, basically mm-hmm. slave labor. It's truly foul. And yet you have people like Christine Lagarde that was running the IMF mm-hmm. and um, at the same time helping, aiding, and abetting through gross negligence is the word that they used. Uh, 400 million euros to disappear from one account into one of Nicolas Sarkozy's business aid account, uh, which she was found guilty of, which she never faced charges for, which she never went to prison for, and now Mm -hmm. she's the head of the European Central Bank. So if people can't see what's going on Mm -hmm. when that is right in front of their faces, even 
covered in mainstream media. You can just yep. Google that. That was covered in mainstream media. Um, ask yourself a question like, who are these people? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? And how do we stop them? Well, we don't stop them. The only way we stop them is opt out of their system. We stop yes. using their money. We stop using their infrastructure. We stop using their banks. And we start rising as a people and um, start using this uh, this globally open economic framework that we call Bitcoin, which is yep. free for anybody to use and permissionless. And uh, that that's why people like you and I are so evangelical about it and like please 100%. please please listen yeah please take a look you please know? take a look yeah um <laughs> stop being bothered of what's uh what what's going on in the nba or whatever right like <laughs> oh the bread and circuses yeah, yeah the bread and circuses yep i i keep telling my cousins and everything oh, okay yeah yeah just talking about bread and circuses bread and circuses every now and then yeah so now does is cricket even bread and circuses for you now I, I yeah, I was never a fan of watching sports ever. So yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, because there's there's always the uh, I was watching football yesterday uh, with um, some friends, uh, and it was a big big game for them because their hometown is trying mm. to make it into the Premiership. So I was invited over with uh, the family, and my son wanted to go and watch the game as well. And uh, they um, they said to me, "Oh, so who do you support?" Uh, yeah, I no one anymore. Like I'm done with it. I'll support. Yeah. I'll support football. I want to sit down and watch a game of football with yep. my friends here and have a social interaction, and you know that's it. But I have no emotional tie to this game or to the team that I used to even support, which You're was right. West Ham United. Like mm. just completely cut ties, and um, it's so freeing. Yeah, it's more tribalism at play there right like tribalism mm -hmm. at play with like being associated with this sports team or that i think it was marcus aurelius who said like uh, when you're watching sport or any sort of sport i think i can't remember what sport was back then but it's like you're not don't have to support someone that oh i'm like i'm going to support it but watch it uh, for its entertainment purpose or as in like appreciating the skill that's been displayed mm -hmm. and not yeah, not showing tribalist uh, tribalist support towards one side or the other. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm. yeah, uh, but yeah, we 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 attach so much emotional baggage to it because it's your yeah. home team or mm. it's the team that your grandfather supported, and therefore mm. you have to support it too. And yeah, so you miss the beauty of that and the intricacies of uh, of whatever it is that you're you're watching. Yeah, um, for sure. Because you have so much um, tied up emotionally in the, um, mm -hmm. and in, 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 yeah, some people are so invested in it, and they're like they know the history of like, <laughs> like of yeah. Oh, like yeah, like the who was the coach back in I don't know nineteen hundreds I guess, <laughs> like of the of Manchester United and like my cousins itself or my friends and family back in India like yeah, there's like. Arsenal supporters and Manchester supporters, and they're like so heavily invested in all of it. Yeah. Oh, it's the cricket geeks that blow my mind that know how many runs every player oh, has yeah. ever scored or how many yeah. wickets. You're like, how mm. do you know this? But that that is what's at play there is true learning, right? That they're, they're mm. intellectually stimulated by it, and they get drawn down the rabbit hole, and they they, they you know statistically um, yep. fascinated by it. The same with baseball in the states. Mm. The people that can pull out these statistics just blows my mind. So right. 
but when when you do find that thing um that that interests you and you will find bitcoin at one stage you will yeah. have the same the same yeah. journey the same intellectual um kind of uh descent into the rabbit hole and what's beautiful about it is everybody brings something different to the table and yeah. will be able to add value in a different way say ah oh, hey have you guys noticed this about that you know hmm. Mm. no we haven't please tell us what yeah. you see <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah for sure uh, have you met uh, roger 9000 i'm guessing you have uh, yeah because you did have him on the podcast right like and yeah, yeah. now he's here in australia and like and he brings uh, chocolate to the table the connection with yep. the history of chocolate and uh, bitcoin so that, yeah that's another fascinating uh, like I love Roger. connection that, yeah and roger's great yeah 100% yeah uh yeah just with homeschooling again cuz uh, what sort of again pain points that you had and learnings from there mm-hmm. mm. the biggest pain point is you because you've been through the system you've been programmed mm. you you don't realize it how deep that programming is um so you're the biggest hurdle so what we found and i've had goodness knows how many conversations with other families that have experienced and done the same thing as well uh we um we fell into the trap of uh trying to do too much trying to do school at home uh which isn't ever going to work uh so we would um try and set out some kind of timetable for our 8 and 6 year old right okay at 9:00 you're we're going to do this math book and we even bought some math books and textbooks are the worst tools ever to to try and teach anything from just completely nonsense um and we we fell into the trap of trying to uh mm. uh attack it in in that way because of our own experience of, in life right. and because of our own conditioning and, and programming and it took a long time to unschool ourselves de-school and just kind of have the bravery uh to throw all of that out um and try and put trust back into the fact that you know that this this little person in front of you is learning all of the time and this is what peter gray talks about another resource for for some of your listeners would be free to learn by peter gray and he talks about this idea of uh the the <laughs> by trying to control it you're you're completely mm. um harming the the learning process about. it has to be natural and you've got but but as a parent it's so damn difficult to do that almost impossible because of the social construct mm. around you and because of your own programming you might have done 15 to 20 years in the education system therefore yep. that's how you think mm. learning actually happens to detract yourself or detach yourself from all of that baggage is very very difficult especially when you've got friends and family around you calling you crazy right. calling you irresponsible uh and um calling you weird and carrying these um th- these these kind of social stigmas because now all of a sudden you're the weird family that mm. is uh doing something different with your kids and in other cases as well some of the countries you've got the state will up in your shit because mm. they want to make sure for the kids safety in air yep. quotes that yep. 
social workers are visiting your home and you're visiting um, a, an official place to do you know, controlled tests to make yes. sure that the kids are up to speed and mm. a certain level of reading or a certain level of this, which again is complete bullshit. No kid should ever be at a certain level of anything ever. Right. <laughs> yeah. It should happen naturally, but that is what is so difficult to face because you're being told at your social gathering, oh, little Johnny's already reading at stage three. He should only be a stage two. Isn't he amazing? And you're like, mm. oh, no. what, what is stage two? What is stage yeah. three? I, I, yeah. Oh, you don't know? Oh, what, what, what kind of books are your kids reading? And uh, you know, are they writing in cursive yet? Because <laughs> if you're not writing in cursive yet at the age of seven, then they're going to be very far behind. And you're like, uh, okay. It, you know, mm. you're constantly facing these battles of um, comparison, again, which was bred into you. That's part of the programming of the education system to be constantly compared to somebody else and constantly made to be uh, to, to feel inferior uh, to somebody else. Mm. Um, that is uh, that is what's so mm. difficult. So it's not an easy journey. You've got to find other people that have done it. And you've got to kind of um, learn from them and put your trust uh, in in the process of letting go. Right. Just yep. letting go. Mm. And people will say, "Yeah, but they'll just if I don't if I don't tell them this, then they're just going to sit on their computer screen for like mm. ten hours a day and never come out of their bedroom." Yeah, they, they probably might do that for two to six months. Then they're yeah. going to get bored of it and they're going to realize, mm, okay, or they're going to find something that truly interests them and right. they're going to come out to you and say, I've been watching these YouTube videos. This is crazy. I think I can learn the guitar. Like, <laughs> all right, okay, I'll go buy you a guitar. <laughs> you yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's so difficult. That's the biggest pain point. Dealing with your own anxiety because, mm. of course, you want the best thing for your child. Yep. And... The world is telling them one thing. Yep. Your instincts and intuition is saying another, and they're trapped in the middle of it, and it causes mm. it can cause a lot of problems, a lot of problems. Right. Um, yep. Because uh, the uh, and you know I'm not being sexist here, but this is just from my own observations. Um, it's much more difficult uh, for women because mm. uh, I think instinctively they just have. Um, that much more nurturing yeah. kind of uh, emotional side, mm -hmm. and um, they, they they also suffer from um, being judged uh, for, from other people. Right. Yes. Yeah. So men can be uh, much more um, efficient at saying, "Yeah, whatever, mate." Like you know, don't yeah, care yeah. what you think. I'm going yeah. to get on with it and do what I need to do, and what's good for my family. And I can see clearly that this is wow. what my kids need to do, and this is how they can do it better. Mm. Um, and this is how they're going to prosper. Mm. Uh, so there's there's that dynamic at play as well. Right. Um, and it's it's difficult, guys. Uh, mm. there, there's no other way to say it. The easiest thing to do is put them on the big yellow bus and wash your hands of it. <laughs> and then you're off the hook because if they get bad grades, it's either they didn't try hard enough or it's the teacher's fault. Right. It's not on you, right? Mm. 
Yep, yep, yep. Makes that's sense. That's the easiest way. But this yeah. and this this is the thing, right? The, the, um, yeah. This is where like this argument of being an irresponsible parent gets turned on its head immediately, because if you are homeschooling your kids, you are fully responsible now. Mm. Like you are, this is on you. You've got to put the tools in front of them. You've got to find those tutors. You've got to find what, um, you know, deeply interests them and yep. then put them in the way of, uh, of mentors and, um, and help them and guide them. It's on you that there's no bigger responsibility. This is, mm. you know, self being self-sovereign over yep. the, the education of your children rather than, yeah, have a nice day, go get on the bus and uh, make sure you come back with an A. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it makes that's sense. That's irresponsible. Yeah. That's yeah. truly irresponsible. You have nothing, like nothing. You've, you've completely outsourced it. And mm. worse yet, you've outsourced it to the state. Right. Yep. Who wants to create a certain behavior. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you sum it up really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to switch gears, uh, at what stage, I mean, I'm going to leave for people to brew on homeschooling for themselves and not going to touch upon that, given that we've almost come past an hour here. But at what stage did you start one spit in your podcast? And like, what prompted you to do that? Yeah, good question. Uh, I procrastinated about starting a podcast all of 2019. Mm. And I remember it's the same old excuses that uh, I procrastinated about writing the book. Yeah. What makes you think you have anything to offer? Mm. What makes you think you'd be a good podcaster? Mm. That's subjective, obviously. Mm. What makes you What makes you think you uh, would even know how to edit or mm. add music or attract guests? I mean, who's going to talk to you, Dan? Like, really? We, who is actually going to accept an invitation to come onto your show? And who's going to listen? Like, no one's going to listen. You have nothing to say. Yeah. All of that kind of monkey mind bullshit. And I finally got tired of that, making excuses. Um, January 2020, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Screw it. And shout out to Max um, from the Bit by Bit pod, uh, because he had just started his podcast as well. And he reached out to me randomly via Twitter, I suppose, uh, had uh, seen the book or read the book, knew I was a Bitcoiner and wanted to bring me on the show and, and have a discussion. And I said, yeah, sure, man, I'm down. Like, let, let's, let's do it. I've got a few things to say. Uh, and um, I was actually going to be in London at that point. So when it actually did the recording in his house, and complete strangers to each other, sat down and had a three-hour conversation and he had to release the episode in two parts. <laughs> we couldn't yeah. stop talking. And, and Max yeah. was pretty much one of the first Bitcoin, Bitcoiners I actually met in, in real life. And uh, sitting down and having that, that discussion, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I'd hosted interviews before on homeschooling summits. We'd done mm. a couple of global homeschooling summits and I'd interviewed very big names in the space, like Peter Gray, uh, Sir Ken Robinson, and uh, among others. I'm like, well, I'm, I know I can. I've got the equipment. Like The mm. barrier to entry is zero. I've got the microphone. I've got a laptop. I know okay. how to record. I've got GarageBand. That's free. Mm. I, Anchor, to, to upload to Anchor is also free. Yep. I'm like, I'm literally making just excuses at this point. 
so I released the first episode end of January, Jan 31st, 2020. Uh, and um, yeah, well, that was that. And I think three to 500 people listened within the first week. Like, oh, wow. my God. I was sho- I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. Um, and this is the time, I suppose, there was only an, a handful of other pods out there. Stefan had been running Brady with his Citizen Bitcoiner. Uh, mm. John with uh, Bitcoin Rapid Fire. Yep. Um, Andreas had done a pod, but that was going off in weird directions. Mm. Trace had come and gone. Um, Peter was out there by that point as well, obviously doing uh, what Bitcoin did. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I just threw myself into the ring and like, yeah, let's let's do it. Nice. And yeah. by of course March 2020, everyone was locked down. People had more time. Whoever I was asking was giving up their time. I was shocked. I, I, I was complete. That that was the biggest takeaway for me. That these people that I idolized, these authors, um, people that had written the articles, yeah. other podcasters, other YouTubers, I would reach out to them and yeah, let's do it. I'm down. Let's uh, let's do a podcast. Uh, so. Here we are, three years later, three and a half years later, and almost uh, three hundred fifty episodes. Oh wow! And, uh, still, still love it. Still yeah. love it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember coming across your podcast probably a year and a half ago, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I probably listened to a few episodes back to back just for the like for a week straight, kind of. Yeah. And this is, and something that I didn't probably didn't mention, but I owe owe thanks to you because I remember early on reaching like from listening to your podcast i reached out to you on twitter and i was like okay i think you mentioned something about australia because i'm here sitting like i used to work in crypto back probably two years ago or something like that but i still like i used to work closely with check midi who does the glass note stuff yeah uh but yeah, more, but but the firm was like more, yeah, everything, shit coins. And I think back then, I think it was like, yeah, anyways, uh, DeFi or whatever. Uh, and I, I remember like, oh, I thought like there's no Bitcoin, like there's nothing Bitcoin related happening in the city. And I, and I heard you mention something and I reached out to you and then you put me in touch with Wizard of Oz. And then I asked him and then he put me in touch with Armand Parman. And then, and from there, I think it was somewhere... Uh, Nine months ago that I went for my first meetup. And then, oh, there's so many other Bitcoiners. And then then I started organizing a few of the meetups and then going to the first Bush Bash and then going meeting so many other plebs all across Australia and then going for another Bush Bash. And then we had our first um, Bitcoin event even, uh, our, our conference here in Australia. Yeah, super exciting to see this. There's so many people actually in, into Bitcoin. And yeah, it just that. But yeah, oh, thanks to you for making that first introduction. Uh, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, there's some great Aussie plebs. Yeah. Love them all. <laughs> uh, last thing, Daniel, before, if if you still have the time, is Nysen, because you did start the, uh, part of the yeah. Signal group and like in, you got introduced to Dimitri through that. And yeah, so what's, just for people that are listening, uh, what's Nysen and like what's the backstory there? Like briefly, if you could cover that off. Yeah. 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 Uh, and a big shout out to um, Michael Rusha that uh, that got me onto it. And again, that was just a, a random DM tweet. Uh, 
a pleb on Twitter, Bitcoin pleb on Twitter, just in my DMs. Like, um, have you ever gone down the the flush niacin rabbit hole? I'm like, no, mate, never heard of it. Well, what are you talking about? Like, because I I love all of these deep. What I love about Bitcoiners is they um when they go deep on something, mm. you know, they go deep on it, and if they feel uh that pull to give back to the community in some way, um, they can. They don't have to bring Bitcoin knowledge. They can bring other knowledge from other walks of life. Yeah. And that's what the podcast has turned into as well, really. Like, you know, the dude about seed oils. Mm. Like, guys, you have to stop eating seed oils in your diet, and this is why. Uh, and then that led on to um, an interview with a, a vet, uh, a veterinarian right. in, yes. um, in America, saying holy shit i listened to that episode and i applied that to all of the diseases that i'm seeing and all of the problems i see in people's pets and animals and guess what's in the animal food is full of this freaking toxic seed oil stuff so you Mm. you you get pulled in all these different directions and i love it so I, i had michael on to talk about niacin and how he had used it to overcome a lifelong problem with um psoriasis which uh, is dermatitis or eczema or, you know, mm. whatever kind of skin condition people have. Yeah. And he had been on medication his whole life for it and, and found um, through his own research and his own learning and his own reading um, what's known as flush niacin, which is basically vitamin B3 in its, uh, its purest form. Um, you can take it in a powdered form or in um, little um, Capsules. capsule form. Mm-hmm. So we did that interview, and then he put me on to Dimitri, and then uh, had Dimitri uh, Katz uh, on the show, um, who's a truly incredible mind, um, yeah. and has done the the real deep, deep, deep scientific, actual, hands-on physical research with it, and mm. uh, and what it can do for people, and um, having listened to both of them, uh, I ordered some myself. Not realizing I, I had anything to fix. I just didn't like the fact that we had all been down engineered as humans and we were all deficient in vitamin B3 right. um, through, through our diets. Like you, you'll never get enough. doesn't matter if you're on a carnivore diet or just eating organ meat where it's generally found. You're mm. not ever um, going to be able to fill the bucket, so to speak. Right. So I wanted to, to get on top of that and readdress that balance and uh, started taking it. And I've been doing that now probably four months. I don't know. Right. But in that time, in that time, um, my uh, my Raynaud's uh, syndrome um, has gone completely wow. in my hands. My hands used to go completely numb, and mm. some some of my digits, uh, my fingers, would just go totally white. Right. If I went outside in the winter, mm. the, the the blood would just drain from them, and they would be completely it's called dead man's finger that's what it would look like right. and i had this problem for a no, long long time yeah i know what the, exactly that is i used to i have that in my uh yeah in my left hand and my two digits so yeah yep, yep. so that's gone man oh, uh, wow. you know yeah and um we were still in winter here mm. and uh it, every morning it would happen i would get up and um go out and you know just soon as soon as i walk outside it'd be gone yep uh so no problem with that anymore. And another mm. thing I've noticed is uh, here we are, we're in the middle of May. Usually by this time of year, I'm still touching wood. I'm still cautiously optimistic on this. Um, I've had 
no hay fever at all yet, like none. Mm. And usually I have streaming eyes, a streaming nose, could sneeze a thousand times a day. Mm. Uh, but I've even been cutting the grass, doing the gardening, being outside. Uh, sometimes I could just see pollen fall from a tree and that would that would trigger me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but now, no, it's uh, it's wow. been... It's been amazing. So what niacin does when you take it, mm. and this is my rudimentary understanding of it, um, it uh, it gets absorbed into your um, into your bloodstream, obviously, and what it has this um, effect of uh, it's called uh, vasodilation. Yep. Um, it opens all of your um, capillaries, even your 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 tiniest tiniest capillaries throughout your body. But somehow, Dimitri talks about this. It knows where to go first. This is what this is what blows my mind, right? So with me, it knew, um, okay, here's a restricted blood flow area. Let's open this up. So mm. I'm guessing each time I was taking it, um, it was just doing the work within my body and uh, opening up the um, the capillaries in my fingers to increase the blood flow, and that's why I don't suffer anymore from from that. I also find it. Um, in um, my eyes, I find my 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 vision becomes really sharp after each time I take uh, niacin, and sometimes I can even feel a little bit, a little bit of tingling under my um, under my eyes. Some people feel it on the top of their foreheads. Yep. I have as well because what it does it because it's opening all of those um, capillaries. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's causing a flush because the uh, the you know the the blood, blood. is um, closer mm. to the skin and whatever else, and mm. so you have this uh, effect of the 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 flush. And some people might get it on their chest, others on their back, others um, on the back of their knees. Yep. Um, Michael would uh, would tell you it would go to exactly where his um, his psoriasis or his eczema problem was. Uh, so yeah, I found it get really sharpening my vision, and I don't wear glasses for anything either. Uh, and now I'm I'm beginning to wonder whether um, I'm feeling that because um, uh, that. That's what would need fixing with the allergies right. uh, because I would get really itchy eyes, streaming mm. eyes, couldn't stop itching them, just the worst. And I've had nothing, absolutely nothing since. Yeah. And this is why, because we, I set up that signal group because I got a lot of input from people that listened to Dimitri's episode and, and Michael's episode. Mm. And then we had the spaces recently as well. Yep. This is why I set up that signal group and you're part of it. Yes. And everybody in there, a Bitcoin maximalists, I love yeah. it, and experimenting <laughs> yeah. with uh, with niacin to different levels, and everybody reporting different uh, sensations, different feelings, different yeah. results, different successes. Mm. Um, there's something here. There's definitely something here, and yeah. um, like I want everybody to do their own research and learn about Bitcoin. I would love for everybody okay. to do their own research and, and learn about niacin because the the book. Um, Nice in the um, the real story mm -hmm. by uh, Andrew Saul S A U L is a great great resource. And again, I listened to that one and a half times on Audible, and you'll be through it in a day and a half. You know, the, mm. you can it's easily easily consumable. And the research that they did back in the fifties, and the research that Dimitri is doing now, mm. and the research that Dimitri is following on from back in the thirties and forties. Um, is exposing something very, very important. Um, mm. And he's also written a book, Saul has also written a book, um, Vitamin C, The Real Story, right. which I've got to start diving into, uh, which wow. a friend of mine who's part of the group 
uh, has already started and said, yo, this is crazy. Oh, wow. You've okay. Got- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we go. <laughs> yeah. 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 Another rabbit hole about to open up. Yep. Yep. Uh, but just with nice and like personally, uh, if you don't mind, like what mm-hmm. do- what's your current dosage and like how you, yeah. Yep. Uh, so I started um, very, very slowly mm-hmm. um, and I got um, the purebulk.com yep. order uh, because you want the purest you can find. Um, you don't want any uh, shit coins yeah. when yeah. it comes to niacin. You yep. don't want um, sustained flush release. That That's not what you want. You want the powder mm. or the, the capsules. Yeah. Uh, and I am... I've, Changed it a little bit over the, over the time. I started with maybe like half a gram mm-hmm. of niacin with uh, L-glutamine, which yeah. is what Dimitri recommended at that point. He now recommends something slightly different because, yeah. you know, like good researchers, he's always researching and testing his hypotheses and coming up with slightly better iterations on, um, on the best way to assimilate the niacin as soon as it um, gets into your body. Right. Uh, great. Thank you, Dimitri. Keep doing your work, brother. Like, uh, mm. th- you know, this is, this is amazing uh, research. So now, I, I, some days, I got it up to taking about three to three and a half grams of uh, niacin per day after food right. dissolved in water with the glutamine. Mm. Uh, okay. And the flush symptoms for me have uh, really fallen off um, really, I don't kind of feel it sometimes at all. Uh, other times, like I said, I feel it under under my eyes um, or the top of my head. Uh, and uh, yeah, now uh, just one gram a day, pretty religiously, just ticking right. along. And um, uh, yeah, I, I honestly believe it's uh, it's a protocol I'm likely to follow for the rest of my life. Um, just yeah. having had the results that I've had has just blown me away. Yep. Uh, and just a nice and another question is, why do you think that we are not able to get enough um, even completely, like if someone that's eating organ meat because where it's naturally found, like wh- why do you think we are not able to get enough um, food itself? Yeah. Yeah, Dimitri would be able to answer that question better. But um, the way I've heard him describe it is uh, even at birth, we are so deficient of niacin Mm. that um, we're just never going to be able to catch up. doesn't matter how much um, meat or or organ meat that you're going to eat or um, other, you know, leafy greens or whatever that are apparently high in vitamin B3. Um, So there could be a dark side to this, which um, Mm. we discussed with him and his in his podcast, which I think is a fascinating thing to probably look into further. Right. Uh, th- this guy called uh, Willard Krell that was doing the research back in the 30s and 40s in um, Germany. And Dimitri said this on the podcast. He's like, you Google that name, K-R-E-H-L, so Willard A. Krell. He doesn't exist. Like The, the only way you're going to find anything about him is if you have access to behind a paywall of, you know, highly um, scientific mm. documentation, you know, research papers that only someone like Dimitri that is working at university would have access to. Uh, that's the only place you can find this guy's name. It's on research papers from the 30s and 40s. Otherwise, wow. no. 
yeah. didn't exist. And and the way Dimitri tells the story is that uh, he was um, doing all of this research in the 30s and 40s in Germany and uh, found all of these incredibly amazing results mm. uh, from anything from cancers to schizophrenia to psychosis to dermatitis, mm. pellagra, yep. which um, no one talks about pellagra anymore because apparently that was solved, right? Mm. Um, mm. But pellagra is... Um, a, uh, a disease that comes in all shapes and sizes. And then um, they, you know, more research on diabetes, diphtheria, um, dementia, um, diarrhea, uh, you know, just everything. Incredible research. Wow. And all linking back to how oh, niacin fixes this. Mm-hmm. But funnily enough, he was um, moved away from Germany to the USA. Uh, funded by um, the Rockefellers, if I've got that correct, I believe yep. so. Mm-hmm. Put in a Rockefeller-funded institution, university, some people might say. Institution is probably the right word. Mm. And all of the research um, funded. Right. Yeah, all of the funding he could ever possibly want. But those papers kept secret, and that research stifled for the people that were funding it. Uh, the same people that obviously own and monopolize the pharmaceutical industry. You know, if if niacin, if vitamin B3 is something that can fix so many of the problems that their opioid-based drugs can fix, which they make billions from mm. each year, best to keep niacin under wraps and off the shelves, right? Right. Uh, because you can't patent it. Uh, you mm. know, it's a naturally occurring um, vitamin. Right. Uh, so, yeah. The, you, you get pulled into some um, very uh, conspiratorial tin hat worlds, which mm. fascinate me um, because, again, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah. And you're like, okay. So another reason that I'm hell-bent on um, learning more about it and, and want want other people to to learn about it because if this can truly help humanity if this can really make a dent in dementia and alzheimer's um why wouldn't we be doing that it mm. is it's just a vitamin dissolved yep. in a glass of water <laughs> like yeah, yeah this is this is absolutely criminal if um if it has played out the way it has played out that, that was described by Dimitri and um, what he suspects. Yep, yep, makes sense. Yeah, you just spoke about Dead Man's Finger and it, and it's just starting to get cold here in Melbourne and I noticed that this year I haven't felt it because I'm, I'm probably not taking as much as three, but I've been taking one fairly every day as well, like one gram fairly every mm-hmm. day as well. Apart from mm-hmm. that, yeah, I feel like my skin has gotten clearer and I feel like a little more active. Dimitri recommended that I should be taking higher doses given that I like I I train jiu-jitsu and I'm exerting too much energy so he's like recommended that mm-hmm. I do higher doses but I still I'll just stick with one and see how and keep doing one on a daily basis and see how that goes yeah but thanks for setting up the group and like uh, allowing me to add my mom and uh, aunt in there as well so that's yeah because they are not yeah that, no, that's, yeah that's because amazing. they're not interacting but at least i know like they're probably looking at it and reading and like i know mom's like taking like a uh, yeah a gram on a daily basis as well so yeah 
And it, does she have anything to fix, or is this just uh, experimentation? Experimentation, nothing. Yeah, not cool. fixing anything. Uh, she did say that she hasn't checked her pressure lately, but she's going to check. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to report back to me saying like uh, whether that's improved it or not. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. I'll text you and let you know how that goes. Yeah. And again, uh, the, the way Dimitri explains it, he's got some some great analogies. Like what's happening when the the capillaries are, and arteries and everything is opened up by um, by this vitamin, it's flushing out all of the gunk and the shit yes. that is um, already in there. You know, so of course it's going to it's going to benefit, um, and that down to like the synapses in your in your, in your brain mm. as well like that that blew my mind it's like oh right okay so that's clearly why it's so good for um alzheimer's because if if your brain is getting clogged up um and you know niacin can just go in and flush all of this stuff out or or the plaques that might have been built up uh, around um you know the arteries around your heart yep. or whatever mm. um no incredible it really interesting yeah rabbit hole to have fallen into and again thanks to michael for for coming on the podcast and and sharing his story and uh, i think i'll do another few episodes about it as uh, as yeah. more information comes in and get some pleb stories out there to to share with everybody yeah that'd be yeah because that's because recently like someone that I've, i mean i work work in the bitcoin space and recently one of my colleagues like as these bitcoiners they get me on to like all this crazy shit because he's like i just did a full <laughs> teaspoon of niacin and i don't like and and i'm feeling this burning se- a sensation and i don't know is, is this normal and blah 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 <laughs> it's like yeah yeah it's it's so funny yeah. when yeah the, uh, yeah just yesterday a dm is like oh my god <laughs> when does this flush go that this is absolutely like crazy. My wife thinks I've, you know, I'm about to die. <laughs> like, yeah, you you just turn red for 20 minutes, dude. Like, uh, you know, yeah, you, you'll be fine. Yeah. You got this. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time I did it, and I had like a, I had like a tiny rash along the sides of my stomach for like probably a day or two, and I was like, oh, I was like reaching out to Izzy because Izzy said like he has like 30 years of experience with it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, he's mm-hmm. like that's completely normal. Like just your body pushing out gunk. Yeah. Mm. yeah 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 is he um that's funny is he uh like, yeah, he's like yeah i've been doing this since the 80s i'm like what <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, yeah uh yeah daniel w- one last question before i let you go i mean oh should i probably ask you one of your questions towards the end but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but but what do you think like is the biggest threat to bitcoin that we have like in the coming years from your- uh um <clears throat> Oof. I don't even really care now about governments or mm. anyone trying to shut it down. Mm. You know, Honey Badger doesn't care, as we say. There's yeah. a reason for that. Mm. Oh, apparently Udi broke Bitcoin, so you know, <laughs> like uh well, you know. Spoiler alert, Udi! Like the blocks are coming in every ten minutes and one second. Nothing's broken. Mm. Uh, biggest threat, like people like worry about sixty one hundred two. Mm. What does that mean? Executive Order sixty one hundred two back in uh, April nineteen thirty three, when uh, Franklin uh, D Roosevelt uh, released an executive order saying uh, it's illegal now to hold gold. This is just like the cricket yeah. guys giving the sa- uh, stats, right? <laughs> All big yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1933, yeah. uh, American um, 
institutions, companies, corporations, all the way down to the individual person had their um, gold uh, stolen from them mm-hmm. by the um, by the United States. Uh, same thing could happen, I suppose. They could release an executive order and say anybody known to be holding Bitcoin must turn in their Bitcoin. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, good luck, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that I, I can't imagine any Bitcoin would ever ever send across any Bitcoin to any government institution that's ever going to mandate that. Um, yeah. And then you've got to find everybody, round them up, put them in prison. I, mean, I, I don't know. That's even a possibility. Mm. Um, the biggest threat probably <laughs> is. Um, Uh, us, mm. uh, you know, um, we've got to keep the education level high. Right. If we step off the gas with that, that's where that's where it falls down. Um, I mean, what momentum has the community gained so far in such a short amount of time? If you think about it, um, since two thousand nine. Here we are, we, we've got, like we said before, so many incredible resources, obviously in uh, lots of different languages. Mm. We've got people um, in perceived positions of power, uh, you know, not, not big fan of politicians or, or politics, but you have senators in, in the United States that understand Bitcoin. Yep. at a pretty very you know at a pretty good level as well mm. um but it's just still we're still just at the, the tip of the iceberg here uh there's so much more to be done and if anybody out there listening um has that idea of starting a podcast or writing a book or writing an article or writing uh, starting a youtube channel singing a song making a kid's book making a kids toy or games or you know yeah yes it's been done but there's nowhere near enough there's nowhere near yeah. enough on the market and we've yeah. got to keep we, we like it's so important so important that's probably yeah. the biggest threat that we 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 fall into a trap and think there's enough information out there now and you know, we've just got to leave it up to the people to go find it and pick it up off the bookshelves. Like, no, we've got to keep these discussions. We've got to keep um, badgering your your friends and your family. Yep. You've got to keep orange pilling your local mm. merchants. You, yes. you cannot stop. It is tiring. It really is tiring. Mm. Um, and I know some people have got tired by it and they're like, yeah, you know what? If these people aren't going to get it, it's up to them, whatever. Yeah, right. I'm good now. You know, I'm going to want to watch the world burn be, burn around me. Um, mm. And I understand why. Because how many times can you have the same conversation? Uh, but um, that's that's what we got to keep doing. Uh, we got to the, the, the biggest threat, I believe, is to um, to step off the gas with the uh, the educational side of things. Do not step off the gas. Yeah. Uh, to step off the gas. If if we step off the gas, then oh, okay, yep. yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, that's Got it. that's a big threat. Yes, yep. yes, 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 yes. Got it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, just recently I got like uh, not recently, but in the past six months, I helped four people set up their podcast. Like I, I'm no expert, <laughs> but they're asking me <laughs> given that I have one, like, oh, should I start doing a podcast and how should I go about it? And blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, easy. 
anchor. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. Then, and yeah, I've like, done the, I've done the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And come on, guys, get on get on the mics. Get on the mics. Yeah. Do whatever it takes. Right. Like, yeah. Start making <laughs> your TikTok videos. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And all right, Daniel, uh, last question, uh, your favorite question. If you had one orange pill to hand out, who would it be? Yeah. As of today. If you had one, la- yeah. if you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would it, who'd you yeah. give it to and why? Uh, yeah, I've, I'm going to stick with the, the, the same answer that I've given probably for a, a couple of years at this point now. Okay. Um, and that's Greta. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because she's she's caused so much pain, mm. she's caused so much worry, so much damage, so much anxiety, and really to the um, the most vulnerable age group, and and that's teenagers, and it's mm. really disgusting. Um, and I don't know whether she did it purposefully or whether she was puppeteered to do it. Um, I, it, it doesn't matter. Mm. But if she is. Um, like, like she claims, you know, in one of her famous TED talks, you know, I, I think she stated something like, "I'm autistic, and with autistic with autism, when you see something, you can't unsee it." Mm. It's like, right, okay, here's the orange pill. Let's put this in your mouth. Yeah. Let's swallow that because if when you see this, mm. if you truly are um, mm. not completely manipulated, uh, you can't unsee this. Yep. And you can start working on undoing the damage that you've done psychologically to so many teenage kids around the world yep. that think the planet's going to fall out of the sky in the next six years. I mean, this is truly disgusting. Yep. And um, and you can see, you will see that Bitcoin is not bad for the environment. Mm. And you will see the, um, the social uh, kind of impact it will have on humanity. Yep. And you will see what we see. And if you've got millions of teenagers and you can give them hope instead of desperation mm. and you can help us educate people about Bitcoin in a, um, in a, in, in a genuine manner, mm. then, then I would like for that to happen because uh, there's far too much nihilism in the world and uh, especially at that, at that age band because I've seen it in my own kids. Mm. And um, it, it's very, very difficult to undo. So yep. yeah, that's what I'd like to. Uh, that's who I'd like to give it to. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Yeah, and thanks for making the time. Hope you're able to do this sometime again because I do had uh, I did have some questions re- regarding uh, the Titanic and stuff like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you love those rabbit holes too, huh? Yeah. 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 Well, um, yeah, carrot dangler for the uh, for the listeners. Uh, <laughs> what 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 is funny because what what first of all like piqued my uh, interest to that story uh, mm. was a Reuters fact check. Yep, the classic Reuters reverse indicator is their fact checks, and I don't know why I even saw it, but it's like <laughs> a tweet. Reuters, fact check in big capital letters. The Titanic was not sunk to create the Federal Reserve. You're like, <laughs> huh? <laughs> so you click through and you read the article and you're like, what? Like, uh, this wasn't even on my radar until your stupid fact check came <laughs> out. And then you get pulled into all different kinds of little uh, rabbit holes. And um, mm-hmm. 
who built the ship? Well, JP Morgan's company built the ship. Oh, right. Okay. Who didn't sail? Who canceled their trip on the day of the first sale? Well, JP Morgan canceled his trip. Huh. Who took out like ridiculously sized insurance? Like, mm. um, well, JP Morgan did. You know. Hmm? Who was part of the formation of the Federal Reserve? Oh, JP. Who died on the ship? Oh, John Jacob Astor, uh, who was the one of the world's richest men and apparently was uh, against, against the formation of the Federal Reserve. You're like, what? And like, what, where did this, you know, what's this book? Um, uh, there's, there's a book out there. The Titan. The, 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 the Titan? The Titan. It, yeah. From the 1800s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1880 something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Futility, I think it's called. Yeah. Uh, I think it's original, um, original title of the book was Futility. The- uh and it's the story of the Titanic, like, uh, uh, and it's fiction, yeah. Because no boat could have even be envisioned, right? right? And it was a fictional story about how it sunk with the like, the, yeah, like the, the 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 top society. And but then when you like uh, you, you read on um, on other lists of uh, of people that almost missed the uh that also missed that that sailing mm. um you know like, well they they went on to become very prominent businessmen right. uh, you know and it was um mayor uh who was um goldwyn mayor mm. yeah it would become mgm studios yeah uh, and which was basically controlling the narrative of everything for um out of hollywood for, mm. like, and all associates of uh jp morgan's all mysteriously missed that boat for one reason or another that they had been scheduled to take on that day. Yeah. Yeah. Put your tin hats on people. But like I said, thank you Reuters. Thank you Reuters for opening that little rabbit hole up for me with your fact checks uh, out of left field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, I remember coming across that, that the book and then the Titanic story, like side by side. And then, and the same evening Izzy is like, Oh, you know, this uh, Huxley, he, he's written this book. Aldous Huxley. Yeah, Brave New World. Mm. And you know who is, yep. who's his brother? And then he's telling me something. About, Julian Huxley. Yeah, and what's his brother part of? And, and then, and then, yep. then we're probably like. He was the head, he was the head of the, the British Eugenics Society. Yep. And then he's like. Yep. So, so I came across this book that was written earlier. And then we, and then about a unsinkable ship. And then that happens a few years later. And then there's a book written about a brave new world, and we're probably living in a brave new world. So, whether yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Huxley also wrote the white paper, I believe, for the uh, United Nations. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's deep. It's deep, yeah. deep, deep stuff. Yeah, the the Huxley brothers were, um, oh my god, like ardent eugenicists. Mm. Well, yeah, really. Um, Really, uh, yeah, right, right on up there. Um, you know, studiers of uh, Malthus and uh, and Darwin and and um, mm. but yeah, it's scary, scary stuff. And uh, the you know, the, the <laughs> eugenics is all around us, always has been, mm. and uh, is controlled again. Like the, the education system mm. is eugenics at work. Yep. That societal order. That that's what it's doing. Uh, the pharmaceutical systems, uh, you know, um, mm. 
everything that uh, that is that is put in these drugs that are causing chemical reactions in your body right. um, are, are forming you into um, into a walking, talking, manageable um, consumer good uh, yeah. for uh, for these for these very very strange people that mm. uh, have all of this power. Speaking of that, you did have I believe it was your podcast. You did have a. Uh, a guy i think his wife and him wrote a book regarding covid uh and yeah. uh all the gentlemen and it was yeah. basically mrna uh, mrna vaccines like all the vaccines are being changed to mrna right like you did mm-hmm. have yeah 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 dr susharit bakti dr susharit bakti yeah okay he's a um a thai german mm. uh scientist uh immunologist um doctor researcher professor um yeah mm. um i i don't know his exact age i think he's in his 60s yeah uh currently facing um uh, trial in germany for inciting the masses he's on he's going to trial oh wow okay. uh mm. because he would um speak out about the um the vaccines mm. and he would speak out about uh lockdowns and um yeah what was going on mm. so yeah it's a it's a crazy world in which we live um yeah and he has uh but let's hope fingers crossed that justice prevails and um yep. he's he's not sentenced to any fines or imprisonment yeah for speaking for speaking for speaking <laughs> yeah true yeah. yeah yeah i mean yeah that's another thing i was just uh again i was telling easy is like oh i probably should stop wearing bitcoin related merchandise and like walking out on the street and stuff like that is like yeah two years five years in the future bitcoin is ripping and then there's like all this oh they they know this weird kid that was wearing these bitcoin t-shirts and they probably like make assumptions <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah the, the the narratives will that that's it comes back to the education right mm. if we step off that then they they um the the, the mainstream media and uh, the people that want to control the money still, the central bankers mm. of this world, um, it would be so easy for them to villainize and demonize uh, Bitcoiners and, right. and yes. uh, this idea of this idea of a, a free and open global uh, economy, um, which they can't control. Of course, they're going to be able to um, you know, make up any kind of story uh, and control the, uh, the masses' minds. That's why we're in a race against time. Uh, to, to help people wake up and um and see and uh you know even if you look at it do your own research and you just think it's still a load of nonsense that's fine at least you looked at it yep mm, mm. just do that yep agree yeah just yeah at least take the first step or yeah take a look at it and then make your own assumptions i think that's mm-hmm. the least you could ask of someone yeah yep Anyways, Dan- Daniel, uh, you have any closing thoughts and you want to tell the audience where they can find you? I'll put it in the show notes as well, but if you want to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you for, for having me on. Thank you for starting your podcast. Thank you for doing what you're doing and uh, helping educate your your listeners and your audience. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I'll, I, I'll help out in any way that I can. Um, people can find me... Um, Twitter at Prince SOV and uh, at any of the conferences that I'm going to this year, if anybody wants to come up and say hi, you know, always happy to stop and have a chat. Lauren's going to be with me at a few of them 
and some of her uh, sisters and her brother as well will be off to Miami uh, tonight. Uh, We'll be off to Prague in June and um, we'll be off to Riga in September and we'll be off to Prague again in October. So we're going to be around. Um, People can come and find us. If you want to check out the book, it's called Choose Life. I would point people towards, um, instead of Amazon, go and check out Consensus Network. That's spelled mm. the K, K-O-N, uh, Consensus Network. And if you use the code BITTEN, uh, you'll get 10% discount off it. And if you pay with Bitcoin via the Lightning Network, you'll get a further 10% discount off of the, off of the book. So That's the incentives yeah. are there. And, and why do Consensus Network offer discounts for bitcoin well because they understand bitcoin and they understand that bitcoin is going to appreciate in value over time and it's the best form of money ever discovered by humanity so they're willing to um to offer you a discount uh, to use that because they will hold it and uh, it's going to put their business in good stead over the next two five 50 years, however long that they um, can keep publishing these books. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, brother. Really appreciate uh, coming on. Yeah, thanks, and I really appreciate you making the time given that you have a flight to catch later today. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, all I ask is that you share it with one other person. And I also recommend that you use Podcasting 2.0 apps like Breeze or Fountain FM. I'll link them down below. This will help you earn Bitcoin while you listen and it will also help support the show. Once again, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one.